I think most of you will recognize Ina York. Yes. Ina is the woman that we've had, uh, some of you have heard about her but have not seen her yet. Ina is the woman that we've had the privilege of supporting for the last six years who serves in the Dominican Republic. So Ina, this morning I wanted you to tell us a little bit about, some of this we've seen before, but I wanted you to tell us a little bit about what's going on in the Dominican Republic, what God has done over the last six years. So. Okay, it's a good thing you said a little because you know I've got a ton of stories. But let's just quickly review some of the th- major things that have been happening in the last six years. First of all, we've been able to put in four wells before the people went to the river to get water. We've been able to do four four family bathrooms. And inside the bathroom, remember that it, there's just a simple toilet inside that flushes with a bucket of water, and on the side there's a place to bathe. The reason we did that is because this would be a common site. When it was time to go to school, the children would go out by the well and uh, would try to wash up. I don't know what the Homeowners Association restrictions are on those bathrooms. Oh, that's an idea. But it does that new cement style that people are using. And so... The people feel so rich. We ha- so now 16 families are, have places to go in to bathe in privacy. We're hoping there are going to be a lot more. We've got a long list of people waiting for those. We have now had four summers of summer camps. Y'all have participated in the last two of those. Thank you so much. If you know someone that uh, someone in your family or you went in summer camp to help us, raise your hand. Lots of folks. Thank you so much. And I know you supported the others. Yes, yay for you. Yay for participating in that. Summer camps, our kids look forward to it all year. We had 176 participating in this last summer. It's becoming a huge part of what God is doing there. We try to do a lot with tutoring because the public schools, I've told you before, on its very best day is horrid, and so we're trying to do a lot to reinforce what's happening. We have an ongoing program we're calling Café Ecoser con Cristo, Coffee and Sewing with Jesus. It sounds much better in Spanish. And here's what I always refer to as our sweatshop, not because they are paid poorly, but because we sweat. And (laughs) you can see that it's in an open-air building. All of our activities happen within three open-air buildings. One of them was built by Gateway. Hey. And also we have some crafts going on. If you'd like to see any of these products, we happen to have some for sale in the foyer. And this money goes to support families that, especially the moms who have sometimes relied on prostitution as the only way they had to provide for their families, and now they have another way of doing that. During the last six years, we've had an opportunity to see people come to Christ and growing them, and in their walk with Christ, they've become people who love the Word, getting grounded in that, they've learned to pray. And it's been very exciting to see that happen in the last few years. So, give us an indication of what's been happening in the last year, Ina. So, I I ask you to limit the number of stories, but tell us a few things that have happened this past year. Okay. When I tell you this one, you know that government shutdown thing where everybody, you know, y'all didn't work? I'm kind of scared that when I tell you this story, if there's going to be a a Nova shutdown and y'all are going to want to quit your jobs and come work (laughs) with us. Because this is so incredible, the opportunities I have. So... Let me just back up, though, before I tell you that one and tell you this story first, okay? (laughs) Sorry. So talking with some friends in northeast Missouri and said, we were just talking about the different things that have been happening. One of my friends said, I don't know how to do anything but raise chickens. I said, great, come teach us how to raise chickens well. So they came in December, and they built these little chicken coops. Here's a, a picture of one of the families that received them. They started with six little chicks, the idea of raising some eggs for their families. My goodness, it was a long time 
from December when we started to when the eggs came. We had all these conversations when we'd gather. They'd say things like, hey, how are you going to fix your egg? I think I'm going to have mine fried. I think I'll boil mine. And they would say, Ina, are we ever going to have eggs? Are we ever going to have eggs? I said, look, we're doing what they do. We're feeding them. We're watering. There's really nothing else we can do. And then finally the day came and Jolanda had an egg. (laughs) It was a day of great excitement. She had gone back to her house for something, came back yelling, I've got an egg, I have an egg. And she was saying, and this is my egg that I raised from the chickens that I fed. Such a great day for them. And even though that happened, they continue to be thrilled with these eggs. And over and over again, they'll come bringing them wrapped in different things. Look, look, we have eggs. We have eggs. Okay, now's the story that's going to make you all quit your jobs and come with us, okay? If the others didn't already. So working with kids specifically on Saturday and some tutoring called Super Sabado, Super Saturday. And so after a while, in May this year, I said, let's reward kids that have been very faithful, just doing everything you want them to do. So let's just surprise them and take them to the aquarium. Now, your kids have probably gone to the aquarium. We took 11 or 12 kids, I think 11, and so... They got out. Some of them rode on the bus for the first time. Some of them left the village for the first time. So we're going out a little bit farther, and then we're three miles away, and they're so excited. And we go, and they're seeing things like stoplights as we get into the city, and new cars, and big buildings, and they're so excited. We get to the aquarium. Well, on the way to the aquarium, I kept repeating over and over, okay, you guys, now we're going to be in a public place. So we're not going to run. We're not going to scream. We're going to just think about others around us. Now, what I want you to do is throughout the whole day, or it's the whole time that we're in the aquarium, let's look to see how incredible our God is, how creative he is. And with the different colors and things you'll see. And so we went in and they were just overwhelmed. And one of my little boys was just standing there going, just shaking all over. And I said, Christopher, honey, what's going on? He said, I'm trying not to run. I'm trying not to scream. But look at what God has done. So we really should have been charged two or three times entrance fee for the number of times we went around and around and around and looked at, the, at all the great things. And then we took them outside behind the aquarium, and this was the first time they'd ever seen the ocean. Now, they live less than 10 miles away. On an island. On an island. On an island, right. And so they were just standing there going, whoa, it's so big. And then finally one of them said, Ina, can you show us America? And I said, mm, sorry, honey, I can't for a couple of reasons. One, it's really far away. Also, we're looking south right now, so I can't really show you, but believe me, it's there. And then took them out to a, a little park, and they were saying, Ina, can we run and scream now? And so uh, for a couple of hours, they played on some equipment that was really like a kindergarten, second, and third grade equipment. But they, when they saw the seesaw, the teeter-totter, they went, oh. I've only seen those in books. So isn't that fun? Isn't that fun we get to do that? Look at the little gal on the left. Does she not look angelic? Her name's Glonaly. I'm telling you, when I first started several years ago, I was just obeying God. I didn't have no language. I didn't know much of anything. I was taking some crayons out and doing some coloring activities, and sharing was not something my kids did. And so she was really tough, so she usually got the crayons. So one day I was saying to her, honey, you've got to share the crayons. And she was not pleased with me. She let me know that in a couple of wet manners. One that she kind of threw some crayons and kind of walked out real huffy. Then she came back in a little bit and she mooned me. So (laughs) I did not know the language well, but I got that, that she was not happy with me. I remember that day thinking, will change ever come? Can I do anything here? I I believe God's coming. Can I do anything here? Fast forward about seven years. 
And Glonaly is the tall girl in the back. That's for our little drama team. And this summer, July 17th, I believe, I had the privilege of sitting beside Glonaly as she accepted Christ as her Savior. Isn't that incredible? And do you know, the, do you get the part that you've played in that? Do you get the part that you've played? Because you give through your offering, I get to be there. I get to be there and to participate in lives. And, and because we're there, we've had the opportunity of being there long term. I'm hoping God lets me live, be there forever. Well, I guess someday I'll die. But anyway, and I hope I get to be there the rest of my life. But thank you for the role you're playing. I believe something like 28% of the monies that have come in so far this year to support what's happening in Cercadillo have come from you. So thank you for giving. Give with joy, going, I get to participate in that. One more story, real quickly, what's happened this last year. We've been praying for a long time for men. That's not my major ministry. It's not been to them. But we've been praying because we know we have to reach men in the village. Praise God. We had some wonderful interns that were there helping us. And after... Let me interrupt, Dinah. You've told us over the years there have been a number of women and children who have begun to follow God for the first time. Absolutely. And you've told us some of those stories, but over the years you've also told us that it has been difficult to reach the men in the village, and in fact, up to this point, unreached, right? That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for for, uh, injecting that. That's right. We've had, we have like 11 baptized believers, but they're all women. So we've been praying for a long time. And this summer, David, who's our neighbor, he's heard the stories, he's heard everything is happening, our neighbor in the village. And so then he, this summer came to Christ. So excited for the man standing beside him, Christian. Christian is from a large uh, church in town that's starting to partner with, with us. Christian's coming out to teach our boys Sunday school class, but also to part to disciple him. And when I left, David said, you know, when you get back, I'm praying there are going to be like 10 more of us. And so love it that he's already getting the idea that his job now is to reach the other men in the village. So, okay, I got to stop, right? Because, okay, yeah, I, I could tell you a few more. Come on over. Okay. Jan, I'm going to ask if you would come up for one second. Yeah, come on up. I want to honor Jan as well. The way we organize our missions, we try to have someone at Gateway champion each of the people that we support. And for the last several years, Jan has championed Ina. And it has been, I think, a great learning experience for Jan and has stretched Jan in the direction of God's generosity in loving on and supporting Ina. And we are in the process now of perhaps handing off the championing-ship of Circadia from Jan. But I wanted Jan to be up here to represent us as we pray for Ina. Ina, over the last couple of weeks and for a few more weeks, I'm going to be talking about being all in, all in with God. And we've said over the last couple of weeks that one of the ways that we get all in, it's symbolic of that, but it's also one of the practical ways that we go all in is with our finances. Your ministry in the Dominican Republic has been an act of being all in. So for those of us who haven't heard it, and for those of us who have, let this be a reminder for us. How did this happen? How did you end up in the Dominican Republic? And keep it brief. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> I went on a short-term mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Was, you, were, you were living? I was living in Massachusetts, extremely happy with my life, reading specialist, top of my career. Very, very, very happy with life. 
just went for one week to the Dominican Republic on a, a mission trip, was overwhelmed by God and what I saw, the needs, but also the opportunities, started praying that God would send people, be careful, and <laughs> then could never forget it for the next probably three years or so, three and a half, went back and forth between job there, going over vacations to the Dominican, and then felt like it was time I had to make a decision, took a leave of absence, a year's leave of absence, and during that time, God led me to Cadillo and the rest is history. You took a year's leave of absence yes. from teaching, from yes. your career, uh-huh. and lived in the Dominican Republic. Yes, because I knew I needed to see what it was like different than just going for one week at a time. I needed to see, was this real, because I had to settle it. I was so, like, in such angst about, do I go, do I not go, where do I, yeah, so. And during that time of being down there, you were working with another ministry, and the village got impressed on you. you Absolutely. So the upshot was the result. You guys... This is the best life. Whenever I have an opportunity to speak to youth, I always say, always say yes, because his plans are so much better for us. I mean, really, who could make better plans for my life? I know York. I'm, I'm probably average intelligence. I know York, God of the universe. I know York, God of the universe. Whose plans are going to be better? I'm going to go say God of the universe, even though. No, sir. No. <laughs> okay, got it. Okay. But what's happened is as I've gone in, as as I'm all in there, is that I've discovered who God made me to be even more. And I have often said that when God said, let there be Ina, many years ago, that he was thinking of Cercadillo. I feel like I was born for this village. So I understand now what it means to when Jesus says that when we give our lives that we find it. I found what I've made for And even on its hardest day, when it's hot and miserable and everything, I never think about coming back because I found what I was made for. The Bible talks about sometimes laying hands on one another as we pray for one another. I've said before, I think that's representative of our connection with one another, our community with one another. So if you would, join me. And let's stand, and I'm going to ask you as a symbol of that, extend your hand toward Ina, and let's pray for Ina, and Jan and I will lay hands on her, and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the plans that you have for us. They're so good because you're good and you love us. I thank you so much for the people in Circadillo, for your creation of them, and I thank you that before the foundation of the world, you knew that uh, you would send Ina at this point in time to love them. Father, strengthen Ina, encourage her, even during her time here, encourage her, fill her with your spirit, fall on her so that she can, for another year of weeks and days, she can represent Jesus to the people in this village, that she can be his hands and his feet and his eyes and his voice and his compassion. Father, we pray for the work that you have been doing in the village, and we ask in Jesus' name that you would protect it and seal it, secure it. We pray, Lord, for laborers because the harvest is white. There are hearts that are ready, and there is much work to be done. Thank you for Ina's connection to the church downtown in Santo Domingo. We pray, Lord, that you would nurture that relationship as well. Father, we also pray that you would pour out your love and your joy on Ina in uh, very special ways through your word and through connections with others who love you and through the support of people who love her. 
We pray that you will protect her physically and financially in all that she does. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, you're going to want to speak to Ina before you leave. She'll be out in the lobby. You may be seated. Okay, today we're going to add to our conversation about giving. And we said that we were going to talk about how to give today. So I I want to do that very practically. I want to talk about how we give at Gateway, but also attitudinally. So we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. We're going to look at an Old Testament passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at a New Testament passage of Scripture. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but what we're going to do is shake them and distill the nuggets. And we're going to talk about, from these passages, what God said to those people and what He is saying to us today about how we should give particularly the attitude with which we should give. So I want you dialed into that and listening to that as we hear from God's Word from uh, Bill and Lisa Russell. So, Russells? So we're, we're supposed to read a couple of scriptures to you, but it didn't seem fair to come up here without talking about our small group as well. Okay. So I, I'm Bill Russell. I'm Lisa Russell. And uh, we just want to let you know that we have a small group as well. And uh, one of the things, of course, we're supposed to say is that ours is the best, which it is, but I'm not going to say that. What I am going to say is that we meet Wednesday nights, and uh, we have just a great group. One of the things that's really cool, I think, is the diversity of the group and the way we invest in each other's lives. And by diversity, I mean we've got married, we have singles, we have young, and we have younger. And, you know, so I think if you're looking for a small group, whether it's ours or someone else's, please do get involved. You know, one of the things we strive to do, I think, unfortunately today, is we strive to be independent. We strive to be successful and to not need anyone. But that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to community. And community really happens in small group. And it's in those small groups that we can wrestle with Scripture. All right, with that, now we'll actually read the verses. Okay, good. Thank you. Malachi 3, 6 through 10. Since I, the Lord, do not go back on my promises, you, sons of Jacob, have not perished. From the days of your ancestors, you have ignored my commandments and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord who rules over all. But you say, how should we return? Can a person rob God? You indeed are robbing me, but you say, how are we robbing you? In tithes and contributions. You are bound for judgment because you are robbing me. This whole nation is guilty. Bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my temple. Test me in this matter, says the Lord who rules over all, to see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no room for it all. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I grew up in a context that 
at least as a child, I remember going to church and hearing them talk about tithing often. Tithing is the word that was used in the Old Testament, literally means tenth. And annually, the Old Testament saints would give tenth of everything they had as an offering to the temple and to the Levites, and it would also be distributed to the poor. And there was quite a bit of discussion in uh, the church context that I grew up in as a child about tithing. And uh, my mom and dad periodically would give me you know, a little envelope. We'd have a little envelope, and I'd put a quarter in it or a dollar in it or something, and I'd go to church. And during Sunday school class, when I was usually bored to tears, a teacher would pass a basket around, and I'd throw my little offering in, and I had written my name on it and checked. I gave this week, so there would be, I suppose, some record of it. That, that's my first exposure to giving at church. Kind of my second exposure to giving at at church in a larger sense, I would say, is when I was rediscovering and deepening my faith in my 20s and then ended up going to seminary, you know, I was part of what uh, demographers call the baby boomer generation, and there were a bunch of us who were just having families or early in career or just getting started in career or coming out of college in droves, and we were, in many cases, rediscovering church. And so we started coming back to church and new kinds of churches. Churches were doing new kinds of music then and, and trying different experimental things to get those of you who are baby boomers to get you involved in church when you were in your 20s and in your 30s. And, and this began, well, it didn't begin it, but I, there was an explosion of the, the megachurch movement across America. And all during this period, and I was in seminary during this period, I was, I was trying to learn how to do this, how to become a minister, and all during this period, you'd hear articles and you'd hear speakers talk about, you know, for generations the, t- the church has talked about giving and they've hammered giving. And this generation, my generation, is, is skeptical of the church and skeptical about giving. So we should stay away from this topic. So we did, largely. Churches didn't talk much about giving. Some of you have been to churches before where there is no basket typically passed. As a practice, what they'll do is just put a, some kind of box or, or a plate in the back and people will give on their way out because churches wanted to de-emphasize the idea that, you know, we're constantly asking for money. And I think that was a, a fine, God-honoring trend in the church to get us away from perhaps focusing too much on money. Maybe we went too far. Because if you and I are going to be all in in our relationship with God, we got to talk about money. And in fact, Jesus talked about money regularly. And not only are we going to have to talk about money, we're going to have to talk about giving. Because that's one of the primary purposes of our money. It's repeated over and over again in Scripture. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. We're not collecting pools. We're streams. Blessing is supposed to flow through us, and that includes financial. And as we allow blessing to flow uh, out of us and through us, he just increases the stream. Well, the passages this morning reflect that. If you don't remember anything else, and I want you to remember several things that we say this morning, but I want you to remember this. If, If we had to have any theme to walk away with from today, I'd like for the theme today to be stop tithing. I got a great article this week 
about this, and it was called Stop Tithing. And he was talking about, uh, he was reflecting you know, similar upbringing to mine, and, and he said that in these conversations about tithing, even conversations generally about giving to the church, we ask questions like, okay, if I'm going to tithe, if that means, you know, it's an Old Testament teaching, well, is it still valid because Jesus has come? And, you know, we have the New Testament. And Jesus never mentions the word tithe, which is true. Okay, but if, if it's still valid and if I'm still going to tithe, is that 10% of my net or 10% of my gross? Really, we ask this long series of questions that end up amounting to, often, how little can I get away with and still fulfill the requirement? So I want you and I to stop thinking like that altogether. Let's stop tithing. And let's talk this morning about how we really should give. And let's use an Old Testament passage. Again, let's drill down and look at some of the nuggets. And and then let's look at this New Testament passage. And then let's end with some real practical application for how we should do this at Gateway. So in this Old Testament passage that Lisa read for us from the prophet Malachi, Malachi says, bring your tithe into the storehouse. God even says, test me in this. But to set that up, let me say, Malachi is really a series of messages. The whole thing, the whole book is a series of messages to the the people of Israel, kind of denouncing, correcting, adjusting certain practices. I've heard Old Testament scholars compare the Old Testament prophets to God's prosecuting attorneys. So they would go before the people and prosecute God's case on the people or to the people. Sometimes they were God's defense attorney, but in this case, they are God's prosecuting attorney. And the prophet goes and he presents uh, God's case to the people. And he says, these are some things that just need to be adjusted spiritually. Return to the default setting of your connection with God. He begins with a fascinating little correction of their offering practice. And he uses a phrase, honestly, that's scary. He says, hey, you're bringing your offering to me. He says this in chapter 1. You're bringing your offering to me as an act of worship. And, you know, the attitude with which you're bringing it and the way in which you're bringing it and the heart with which you're bringing it, it's as if, listen to this, he says, it's as if you are lighting useless fires on my altar. In other words, it's possible to be worshiping God fruitlessly. It's possible for you and I to get dressed up on Sunday morning, carry our Bible, and I've got a big Bible, and bring our check, and I've got a big check, bring our Bible and our check on Sunday morning and sit in a place like Gateway, and we wait for the basket to be passed. We place our check in it, and we know all the songs, and we are, in effect, fruitless in our efforts. It doesn't really ever rise to the level of genuine worship. So it seems to me that this would be important for us to dial into and to understand. So then by the time he gets to Malachi chapter 3, the passage that Lisa read for us, he's really describing here the right heart and practice in giving. So just a couple of nuggets. One, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed ever since the time of your forefathers. You've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? What does this mean to really get back connected to you clearly and effectively? 
And then God answers in an odd way. He answers a question with a question. And he says, okay, will a person rob God? Yet you rob me. What? How do we rob you, they ask. It says, in tithes and offerings. So not bringing the tithe is evidently tantamount to robbing God. Why is it robbing God? I would suggest that probably because the tithe is one way of recognizing that all that we have is God's. So bringing this is representative of that. That's why it restores the flow. That's why it maintains the connection. When we don't tithe, we live in effect outside of the recognition that all that we have is God's. And all that we have has been provided by Him. It's not by our strength or our power. He's done it. So, first, I would think we should give regularly. I would think it should be our practice to give regularly. Not just be reminded at December that we should give because the policemen call us up and they want to give to the policemen's fund and we remember Salvation Army ringing its bell. I would think we would find a practice, a way of giving regularly. To further emphasize the same point, you know, he makes the point here that tithing is actually a way of repentance. That's a hugely important biblical word. It means when you're going the wrong way, God's will that Ina was talking about is actually back this way, but you're going the wrong way. You have said, according to Ina's imagery, you have said no, you're heading this way. Repentance means to turn around and head God's way. It means to change direction. And the tithe is actually a way of repenting. It's a way of adjusting our spiritual barometer, our lives to his life. So I would think we should give regularly. Secondly, he gives so that we can give. He gives so that we can give. And when we give, he pours out more blessing so that we can give more. Listen to how this passage unfolds further. In tithes and offerings, he says, that's how you robbed me. Look, you're under a curse. All of, the whole nation of you. Because you're robbing me. Okay, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I've heard this passage over the years, and only this week as I was looking at this, did this really hit me. I think maybe I've heard this taught. I don't know. I won't blame it on anybody else. At least when I've read this passage over the years, I've thought, incredible, What God is saying is, you know, if I give, if I find the right causes in a regular way to give, then he's just going to bless me. I'm going to give and he's just going to bless me. And here's what that says to me. So I go to church and I find some way to give when the offering is passed. All my problems are going to start getting taken care of. And he's going to give me more money and our car repair is going to get done. Everything in my life is just going to get better and up and to the right. It's awesome if I can just find a way to give. And that's not what God is saying. What he's saying is, once you learn how to give and make your life about my generosity flowing through, once you learn how to do that, I'm just going to turn up the spigot. I'm going to enlarge your capacity to give. I'm not going to enlarge your capacity to collect. I'm going to enlarge your capacity to give. Wow. So... I would think we should give excessively. Secondly, I think we should give regularly. I would think we should give excessively. See, this isn't a license to have more stuff. This is a pattern of living. 
what the New Testament Jesus would call abundant living. Literally overflows. It abounds in giving. This is such an important matter to God. You recognize what God has said here. To my knowledge, this is the only time he says this. Most Sunday mornings, those of you who are part of Gateway, you know, it's become a little phrase that you guys give me a hard time about periodically. But I'll say, hey, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. It's just my way of bolding what's about to come, right? This is what God does in effect here. He says, test me in this. Look, go ahead and try it. Turn the spigot on. See how you feel, how, how that fits your life. See if that's not the pattern of living that you were made for. And then I'll turn the spigot up. I'll give you even more capacity to give if you'll begin to give. I would think we should give excessively and regularly. When we don't give, we are essentially refusing to recognize the patterning of living that God designed us for. So we end up not being our true selves. So how should we give according to God's instruction to Malachi? We should give regularly and we should give excessively and it's so important. He says, test me in this. Okay, that brings us to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9 is the passage that Bill read for us this morning and this is Paul writing to one of his most ornery churches. And in verse 6, the first verse that Bill read for us this morning, Paul says this, remember this, and we looked at this last week, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously, which I think underscores the point we just made that we should give excessively. But let's go on. But verse 7, and there's where we want to drill down for a second. Verse 7 says, each person should give what they've decided to give in their heart. So this giving that we're talking about is not an order from some spiritual authority. This is whatever you have decided in your heart to give. So I would think we would give freely. I think this is part of what Paul is talking about. Give freely. Give regularly, give excessively, and give freely. It's what you have decided in your heart to give. In fact, he adds, not under compulsion. No one's making you do this. Let's give freely. Also, this is whatever you have decided, meaning intentionally. Whatever you have decided in your heart to give. So I would think we would give intentionally. So I would think we would give regularly. I would think we would give excessively. I would think if we wanted to be God-honoring people, we would give freely. And I would think we would give intentionally. We would have a plan for giving. It wouldn't be haphazard. We wouldn't show up at a church on a Sunday morning and take out whatever money is in our wallet and throw it in the basket. We would plan what we were going to give. Verse 7b then follows and says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I don't think this needs any explanation, right? I would think we would give cheerfully. I would think that if we were perfect examples of a God-honoring community, which we're not, but we're trying, I would think if we were a perfect example of a God-honoring community, Ina would come up here and tell us some great stories and we would laugh and once in a while we would cheer her and that's terrific. And we'd have a couple of cute announcers and they would make us giggle and then we'd have another small group leader and it would, Bill would, Lisa would warm our hearts. That would be awesome. But then when the basket was passed, woo Yes! When is the last time you saw that in church? <laughs> we should give regularly, excessively, freely, intentionally, and cheerfully. So let's wrap this up. 
So uh, let's answer a couple of specific questions that I've been asked over the years. So do I have to give if I'm deeply in debt? Well, this is the wrong question, of course, isn't it? This is why I began today saying stop tithing. You never have to give. The right question is how can I arrange my life and my finances so that I can maximize my giving? The right question is, how can I arrange my life and my finances so I can maximize my giving? Certainly, if you're deeply in debt, you're not in a position to be a big giver. And maybe not a giver at all. Yes, I said it. We had someone several years ago who came to Gateway with a huge financial need, and we gave them a substantial loan. This was in the early, not a loan, we we gave them a substantial amount of money. It's in the very early days of Gateway. There were only a few of us. This was a little bit of a sacrificial gift for us, but we gave this person a good deal of money to help them with something. We didn't hand them a check, but we paid for some things on their behalf. They made an appointment to meet with me. We met that week, and they said, you know, so I want to give. They obviously had a church background. They said, I want to give 10% of what you've given back to me, but just, Pastor, I don't know how to do it yet. And really, I think that this was, honestly, I think this was this person's way of saying, I really am a good person, and I'm not just trying to be a freeloader. And I said, look, you basically have zero. We gave you what you have. Don't give it back to us. Don't give us anything. Why don't you try to accomplish your giving by being the best volunteer we have at Gateway? That's a great idea, and that lasted a couple of weeks, and then we didn't see him again. That's not a good story, is it? But Certainly, if you're deeply in debt, you're not in a position to be a big giver, and maybe not a giver at all. But be careful, if I'm talking to you this morning, that this doesn't create an excuse for you to rob God. That's a sober thought, that we might be robbing God by the way we live and by the way we've arranged our finances. So be careful that that doesn't provide you with an excuse to rob God. Remember, we do well to be regular, excessive, and intentional givers. So decide what you can do, and pray for the day when you can do more. And as you begin to give, watch God bless you so that you can give more. And don't begin to collect those blessings and say, oh boy, now I'm not only out of trouble, I'm beginning to add over here to my collection. But as he begins to bless you, let that blessing flow through you and give even more. So do I have to give if my spouse doesn't want to give? And there are a number of you who come to Gateway without your spouses. There are also those of you who are perhaps sitting together this morning who disagree with one another about uh, the degree to which you should be giving. I've told you all before, my wife taught me how to be generous. I grew up in a home where counting nickels was a, a profession. And, you know, Diane taught me how to be freer with our money and uh, give to others. So do I have to give if my spouse does not want to give? I would say you should not give if your spouse doesn't want to give. Not only do you not have to, I would say you shouldn't. In fact, you may have done damage to God's reputation if you've been forcing that on your family against your spouse's wishes. Remember, we are to be cheerful givers. If your spouse becomes a resentful giver because you have chosen on their behalf to give, 
then you should pray for your spouse's heart to change, but submit your desire to theirs. You should say, this is what I want to do. I believe in my connection with God in my heart that this is the way for me to honor God, but I want to honor you. And this is not how you feel, so I want to submit that to you. And I want you to know, I'm going to be watching God bless our finances so we can give, and I'm going to be praying for your heart so that we can give. So no, I don't think you should give if your spouse doesn't want to give. So how much should I give to Gateway? And how do I give more? Finally, the right question. So, uh, the Old Testament practice. I've read a number of different scholarly approaches to that which say that essentially the average Old Testament saint, if they were fully practicing obedience to Yahweh, if they were practicing the system of festivals and feasts and tithes and offerings and free will offerings, then they were giving annually somewhere between 23 and 26% of their income to worship, to celebrating within the worshiping context, and to the priests and the poor. They were giving somewhere between 23 and 26% of their income on an annual basis. Here's what I think we should do. I think we should decide what we believe God wants us to give and what we ourselves want to give. I think we should decide what we believe God wants us to give and what we ourselves want to give. That decision should be measured against what we believe God has said to His people, us. What God has said to His people, us. We should take that and measure that against where we are in our lives and what our heart is willing to do. And then we should decide what we believe God wants us to give and what we ourselves want to give. Then we should get happy about it. We should feel free and happy about what we give. I thought, and maybe I will do a little more of this next week, but I had thought that it might be interesting to come up with a list. By the way, if you have any ideas about this, would you email me something this week? But somebody here at Gateway, I'll let them remain nameless, has told me that they've often had an idea. I think this is a great idea. They've often had an idea, which, by the way, they've never executed on. But they've often had an idea that what they would want to do, an idea for them to increase their own generosity and the generosity of their family. They want to go out on Saturday, take $150 out of their bank account, put it in their wallet, come to church, and find two, three, four, or five of you who they feel like they need to connect to or who they feel like God is leading them toward and say, hey, Pete and Anu, come out to lunch. Lunch is on me. Hey, Becky and Tom, let's meet at the Mongolian Grill, whatever the name of that place is, down there on the corner of 50 and 28. Lunch is on me. Just as a way of being generous and generating and helping facilitate community. You know, I recommend that you and I find some practices that will help us get happy about what we give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. If we want God's heart pleased with our heart, let's get happy about what we give. Then thirdly, I'd say first, decide what we want to give. Second, get happy about it. Third, decide where you want to give. There are no rules for this. 
Again, the Old Testament standard was the reason the church I grew up in talked so much about the tithe. The Old Testament standard was that 10% of our income went to the temple and to the Levites and was distributed also to the poor. Then there was additional givings and offerings and feasts and festivals above that. And there were also special giving campaigns above and beyond that. But you decide where you want to give. I believe God will take care of Gateway if all of us here are giving what God is leading each of us to give. God will take care of Gateway. And then, when you give to Gateway, let me give you some mechanisms for that. Make out a check to Gateway Community Church. Do it before you come to service on Sunday morning. And then when the basket is passed, now you're anticipating. You have something to offer. You have something to give. And give it cheerfully. As the basket is passed, take your check to Gateway Community Church. Very, very large check to Gateway Community Church. Fold it in half and drop it into the basket as it goes by. Or you can... Put that check, wrap it in an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper, put it in an envelope, and mail it to our church office. And that address is on our program every Sunday. Or you can have your bank send a regular check to Gateway. You, those of you who bank online, get, decide what you want to give, decide where you want to give it, and the Gateway part of it, divide it up by month or however often you want to divide it, and have your bank mail us a check and that will come to our office and we have a, a number of people who do that. I'm going to have a couple of people up here next week help me talk through this practically. Trish and Phil Salee and uh, Crystal Klein. And really, I wanted to get some people who had an incredibly godly perspective on giving and on finances overall. And we couldn't find those people. So Trish and Phil and Crystal were willing to come up and talk. And Crystal is going to give us some practical instruction about, for those of you who need it, walk through how we do that with our bank. Where does this money go? If you're new to Gateway or if you're new to church, where does the money go when it's past the offering plate or you write a check and it goes to Gateway Community Church? We take it in the back, we collect it and we count it, we take it to the bank and then we use it for community designed purposes. Here's what I mean by that. If you grew up in a liturgical context, if you grew up in an Episcopalian or a Catholic or an Orthodox environment, for you, especially as a little child, this was always true, but especially in those contexts, church was some big institutional, you may have thought that the priest owned everything. Decisions were several levels above you in the top secret or super top secret department. I want you to know that Gateway, because we believe in community, because our mission is to draw others into authentic Christian community, we have designed our structure, our organization, so that we have a congregational polity. We make decisions about what we want to do with our money. We sold a piece of property not long ago for over a million dollars. We, as a congregation, heard the pros and cons of that, and we voted about whether or not we wanted to sell that piece of property so that those resources could be released to us in our building effort when we raise up our facility across the road as you go out today toward 50 where our signs are. That's our property. And we're going to build a building over there, God willing, in the next couple of years. Our building. So we meet together to decide how we will distribute our money. Now, those decisions are, of course, baked and vetted by our staff, 
and then our elders, and then they get a lot of attention from our small group leaders and our, our team leaders who are our deacons here at Gateway. And that's happening today. So if you are a deacon at Gateway, you got a couple of emails from us this week telling you about a meeting that we're having today. I encourage you to come. This is when we decide how we're going to spend our money, and it really does work that way. Some of that goes for causes like Ina. Some of that goes for Diane and I. Some of that goes to pay for these lights in this room. And much of that is going to go toward the building of our building over the next few years. And we will decide that. We'll be answering questions after church for all of us in a couple of weeks. We'll announce a meeting after church a number of times, November the 10th. If you have any questions, stick around. Look at our budget. Look at what we spend and where and how. Tim and Tom, two of our elders, are going to come up next week and do a really quick run-through and talk about our budget just a, a few minutes, and then we'll answer questions after church on November the 10th. Because, again, this is our money, and we will decide intentionally, happily, freely, how we want to use and expend excessively our money and our resources. A number of years ago, Diane and I were living in New England, and we pastored a church in the Boston area before coming to Northern Virginia Go Red Sox. I had the privilege one time of picking up a guy from uh, Logan Airport in Boston, and I had heard a lot of things about this guy. And I was taking him to a conference that he was speaking at that I was going to. So we had a couple hours in the car driving across eastern Massachusetts, and we began to talk about church, and he was not a pastor. He was a businessman and spoke regularly, and somehow we got on the topic of giving. And, I mean, this was as far from bragging as you could get. I'm, I'm pulling information out of this guy, and I'm pulling it out of him because I'm stunned and amazed. He tells me a little bit about what their family is giving. This is not a fabulously wealthy guy, by the way. Not a fabulously wealthy guy. Did I say that? So at one point I said, look, I, you know, I don't want to be rude, but how much do you give? He says, well, that's an interesting question. When my wife and I got married, you know, we had no faith, and we really were not followers of Christ, and we just got into terrible marriage conflict during our first two or three years of marriage, and we can't afford counseling, so we go to a local church, and in the process, our spiritual dials got completely reset, and we gave ourselves to a relationship with God, and we went all in, and we started giving something to the church because, you know, we felt like we owed them because the counseling was free. And then we hear this talk about giving and giving a tithe, and we decide, well, we're going to try to grow our giving so that we can reach a tithe. And somewhere during that time of growing our giving so that we could reach giving 10%, we hear this teaching about how God wants to increase our capacity to give. And in fact, he wants us to give more and more and more. In fact, those of us who are Christ followers, we need to be judging our lives not by how much we collect, but how much we give, and it's just completely different. There's a paradigm shift for us, so we just decided that we were going to try to give an increase the percentage that we give by 1% every year of our marriage. Really cool. He's an old guy. At that time, I thought he was decrepit. He's probably about my age now, but, you know, how have you done? Well, we've done it, and 
We've managed a couple of years to raise it by 2%. What are you talking about? You kidding me? No, no. God has really just blessed us and we've been able to do it. How long have you been married? Well, we've been married uh, 28 years. You know, there were uh, four or five years where this was not our practice. Uh, how much are you giving? Well, we're giving 31% of our income. 31%! So I said to myself, I wasn't brave enough to say it to Diane, I said to myself, we need to do that. How awesome would this story be if I now told you that we did? Seriously. We don't. You remember how we started this whole series? We showed that picture of Terry diving out of the airplane. Terry and Tim Eagle went skydiving, and Terry's diving out of the airplane. And we said of that illustration, we said, you know, I've heard that the thing you need to do if you're going to go skydiving is just get yourself in the plane. Because <laughs> if you get yourself in the plane, somebody's going to strap you on and they're going out whether you want to go or not. So what you really have to do is get yourself in the plane. And I talked about how over the next several weeks, let's get ourselves in the plane. Let's get in the plane. Because if we get in the plane, God will strap us up and away we go. So anybody, anybody want to get in the plane with me financially? Anybody want to say, boy, I'd like to, I don't know how, but I'd like to give more. Because that feels like, that would make my heart sing. That would make me feel like Ina. Let's stand and pray. Father, we are so deeply grateful for what you've given us. Thank you. And we ask that you would give us cheerful hearts that we might give back to you a token in return. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Alright, so here's how I want us to leave. The band is going to send us out. I'm going to dismiss you in just a second. Ushers, would you go to the doors with the baskets? So those of you who have a basket, make sure the doors are covered. Strong arm people if you have. No, I'm just kidding. Because this is cheerful and it's intentional and it's free. This is free. So those of you who have a gift, I want you to deposit it on your way out, and I want you to do it cheerfully. I want you, I want you like skipping. And phew, yay. And if you don't have anything to give, but you've already given, you've already mailed your check in, then just skip behind. Yay. Okay? This is the happiest part of our service right now. <laughs> All God's people said... All right, so go be cheerful givers. Take somebody out to lunch on you. Diane and I are available. We're actually not. We're not available. Go and be cheerful. Blessings. Blessings.